last week, and maybe some of you guys have testimonies too, and be sure to let us know when these things happen, because we want people to know good things are happening. Um, but we this year, uh, we had some extra taxes we were going to have to pay this year um, on some income that we had, and it was a pretty substantial amount. And uh, we, didn't, we were believing God for the money that we would have it, and of course we were setting aside money for it, but you know that eats into other stuff that you're wanting to do. And uh, we got a note from the bank that said that we overpaid on our mortgage. You know, overpaid our insurance and our, our escrow. We overpaid it, and we're pretty sure it's the exact amount we needed for our taxes. So, you know, you say, well, that's not really a blessing. Well, it might not be to you, but it is to us. So, <laughs> but when financial, when things happen, you know, look, I'm, I, I take this serious. I mean, look, if, you know, to me, if, if someone, you know, when we have a service, Sharon and I both felt this last week, um, what Mark did last week in that service was, uh, was an important part of our spiritual growth, for me, per, us personally. Um, those are the kinds of things that propel you, um, you know, propel you forward. And so as you get your testimonies, be sure to write them down, get them to us, let us know about them so that we can share that with others, because those are important. Amen? Amen. And, uh, you know, the testimony is not just my testimony. It's our testimony, because we're in this together. Amen? And as we're in it together, when good things happen to me, we celebrate them together, because we know good things are on the way for us, all of us as well. Praise the Lord. All right, you have your Bible? Okay, grab it, hold it up in the air. Wave it around, if you would. It's okay if it's a PDA or a tablet or a phone or whatever. Say this out loud with me. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. By the Holy Spirit, this is God speaking to me. Amen. All right, open that up to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And... Uh, I've had this message rolling around in my heart for the last uh, several weeks and just uh, something that I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you this morning. And uh, just to, it's a, it's a very familiar passage. It, it talks about, we most of the times hear this passage as the prodigal son, about the son, prodigal meaning the wasteful son that wasted his father, the inheritance that he received. But actually, if you write in your Bible, it would be a good idea, if it's not already there, uh, to write the words, the loving father. Because this is really not a story about a wasteful son. There's plenty of those. Wasteful sons and daughters. This is a story about a loving father, and there aren't <clears throat> a lot of those. And so... I think we have to recognize that the key character of this story is the father, how he dealt with all of this. And I'll say this uh, up front, that uh, as we take a look at this passage and we, we look at how the father responds to what happened, we see this incredible love that the father has. And of course, Jesus is trying to explain to us the love that the heavenly father has. But when we look at this, we, we, we start thinking to ourselves, okay, this is the love that Jesus had. And this is the love that he expects us to have for people. And can I say this, that th that is virtually impossible without the help of God. You cannot have that kind of love. It's just very, very difficult. Um, you know, even at our best of love, 
it would be short-term, if anything, that we could love someone the way the loving Father does consistently without his help. And so we're going to talk about that today a little bit and as we dig into this. So let's look at this passage. Let's look at verse 1 first because I want to see why Je- you to see why Jesus got into this. And all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. What a crowd. And the Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and, eats with the, and he eats with them. And so what are they aggravated about? They're aggravated that he's hanging out with all these tax collectors and sinners, people they didn't like, and people they didn't think were worthy to be around. And I like what the Message Bible says in this, that he's eating with them and treating them like they're his old friends, like they're his old friends. Uh, it would be something that people would be irritated at us because of the people we hang around. And here is Jesus who is around these people, sinners, people that are outcasts in society, people that are not loved, people that shouldn't be welcomed at the party, people that shouldn't be in our houses nor in our neighborhood, and yet here he is having dinner with them, and as it said, I said earlier, treating them like their old friends, loving them laughing with them, talking to them. Now, I want you to recognize that in this, nowhere does it say that Jesus compromised who he was. Just because he was with people like this doesn't mean he acted like people like this. You know, we're light and he is light in the midst of the darkness. The only way you ever get rid of darkness is to get light in the midst of it. Okay? You'll never get darkness, you'll never get light, you'll never change darkness by separating darkness from light. It just isn't going to happen. You have to put light in the midst of that darkness and then that light shines and it drives the darkness out. Light always, 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 always will change darkness. Light will always, 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 always change darkness. Always. So... He goes into these series of messages that he does about the sheep and the one that's lost and wouldn't the shepherd go after the one. And then he goes on to another about a lost coin and he talks about how that, you know, how they, you know, you know how that is in your house. You lose something. Anybody ever lost anything? You couldn't find it. So what do you, your brain, what does your brain begin to do? It starts scenarioing that this is where it is, right? I mean, you know, in my house, I don't know how your house is. But in my house, if Sharon loses something, I don't care. I don't care if you're talking to the President of the United States. Everybody has to stop what they're doing and help Sharon find whatever it is that she lost. It could be car keys. It could be her cell phone. It could be her glasses. But when that happens, she starts going through the house, and you can tell she's irritated if you don't stop what you're doing and help her find what she's looking for. So I always do. Uh, I always do. And usually, I always find it. So So Jesus talks about the parable of the lost coin. But then he goes into this whole story about the son, the son that is lost. And, and And as we go into this in verse 11, he said, and he said a certain man had two sons. So it is important to recognize there are two sons in this story. The younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided, them to, he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the 
younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So can we say that out of this passage that this son does not even understand the relationship he has with the father? Because he is thinking in his own mind that the only way my father will take me back is if I come as a slave. The only way my father will take me back is as if I become one of his hired hands. He can't take me back as his son. This, well, we'll get into that in a minute, but, but it's important to recognize this, that this son, as he is walking down the road, has no concept of what, the father, what his father is really like or what his love is really like. He only understands it in the context of what, in his life, he has come to perceive as what his dad or his father is really like. So in verse 20, it says, He arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and said to him, and then he said, Now I want you to notice here something. Uh, When the first thing the father does is is that he runs to him, he grabs him, and he kisses him and welcomes him home. The son has said nothing at this point. Nothing has, there's no repentance, there's no sorrow. I mean, it's obvious, I'm sure the father had no problem figuring out, this kid has blown every cent I gave him. He has ruined his life. I mean, the guy has been feeding pigs, he's been out in the, You know, I have pigs. You know, when I clean the pig pen, it's a pig pen, okay? You get pig poop on you. You you smell like pigs when you come out of the pen. I mean, this is what he did. This was the livelihood. You get covered in anything that's in the pig pen, you get covered in it. I love my, we have one right now that's pregnant, but I love her. She's a great pig, but when she touches you, you get on you whatever she's got on her. Well, that's this boy coming down the road. I mean, his father knew. I mean, it wasn't hard to tell. He had ruined his life. And, you know, in in, in thinking of what the average parent, and it would feel justifiable that we would be waiting for them to be sorry for what they did. That we would be like, well, see, I I, I knew this was going to happen to you. See, I, I, I knew you would waste it all. I knew you would ruin your life. I, this is just what I expected to have happen. Or to be able to say, look at you. Are you proud of yourself? Look at what a mess you've made out of your life. Look at what you have done. You're broken. You've lost everything. Or, look, you made your bed. Now you're going to have to lie in it. But what does the father do? He runs to him. He hugs him. 
He holds him. He has compassion on him. And then the son says to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father completely ignores this statement. Because, see, this, this statement that son is making is not important to the father. This statement is important to the son. The son felt like he needed to say that. The father was not looking for this. The father had already made a choice that he was going to receive his son when he came home. Are you all with me right now? This is the son who needs to do this. And, and you know, <clears throat> there's something to be said of repentance, obviously, that the son was sorry for what he did. But that's not what the father was looking for. The father was looking for his son. The son was looking for forgiveness. The father was giving him compassion and love. So watch what the father does, how incredible this is. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Not just a robe, not just second-hand robe, but bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand, which is symbolic, as we've talked about before, is symbolic of the authority of the household. They didn't just give rings out. A ring here would mean that this is, my, this is the family crest. This is the family. This, this shows everybody that you belong in the family. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. When he said put the sandals on his feet, he's saying because slaves would not have had sandals on or servants would not have sandals on because they couldn't run if they had sand, no sandals so, um, or not run far. When he said put sandals on his feet, everything that he just said to, the, to his servants that were around him was to say to his own son, there is no way in the world you're going to be one of my slaves. You are my son. You're in my family. And I want you just to think, put yourself, you know, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all right? We have all done dumb stuff, and, and we don't need to go into all the details of my stupidity in life, and we're not going to go into your stupidity, and aren't you glad? All the times you told God you'd never do that again and you turned right around and did the same stupid thing. But I want you to put yourself in the son's place. I want you to put yourself in the place of thinking about here I am and I've come into this situation and I, I've ruined basically my relationship with my family and now I want to just be part of it by being a servant or just somehow being a part of what's going on, and they're telling me you're completely restored. See, we talked about this a couple of months ago, and it's so important. The church has not bought into the idea of justification. Justification means it's just as if you had never sinned. See, we buy into the idea of forgiveness because we hear about forgiveness. We buy into that idea because we've heard it for since most of us became Christians, we heard about forgiveness. But justification becomes such a, a deep issue for us because it's as God is saying, okay, this is what you I, this is this is what you think I'm doing for you, that I'm forgiving you, and you're back to zero. 
He said, but that's not what I'm doing. You're back to the status that you were before you blew it. Now you talk about how hard that is in our Christian faith to receive. Because our, our, our sinful nature just says, no, no, that can't be true. God couldn't treat us like that. God couldn't receive us like that. But what God says is, and you, read it, you can read this all through the New Testament, that look, you were like this, and you called on me, and when you did, I completely restored you to what Adam was like in the garden. Completely. And here's the thing. Everything that you get now isn't because of what you did. It's because of what I did. So see how that is just that totally just blows apart this whole theology that we've developed in our lives of, you know, man, you know, I, I'm, I'm a just a, and I know we sing that in Amazing Grace. And yes, we were sinners that, you know, we were wretches, but we're not wretches anymore. Amen. We're just when we sing that song, we're just remembering that we were wretches that God loved us when we were wretches. Can you say amen? But you're not a wretch anymore. You've been justified. I mean, I want you just to think about this for a minute. I want you to think about where the Bible tells you you are seated today. You say, well, I'm seated in the church. I'm sitting in my chair right here. But Ephesians, I think it's chapter 2, says that he raised you up and seated you with him. In the heavenly places. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. What does that mean? See, you and I, we'd be like, well, just give me a cabin. You know, they used to sing an old song like that. Just, Lord, I don't want a man to just give me an old cabin in glory land. I, you know, I'm not worthy to have anything in. Don't, you know, don't, you don't have to. But here's what God says. No, listen, knucklehead, stop putting yourself down. He wouldn't call you a knucklehead. Stop putting yourself down and start realizing who you are. See, the, the son, his problem started way before he left home. They started way before he left. You know, we, we tend to think, well, you know, his life just went on. He just took a bad turn. Now, he had taken a bad turn a long time ago because he doesn't even know what his dad's really like. Nobody just falls into sin. Nobody just got into trouble. Trouble is planned. Trouble is planned out. Well, pastor, I just fell into sin. No, you didn't. You began to play around with the idea of it. You began to mess with it. You didn't just fall into it. You began to allow yourself to be tempted by it. You gave yourself to it. You thought about it. You looked at it. You tried to walk away from it, and then you looked at it some more, and then you tried to walk away, and you looked at it some more, and then you're looking at it, began to take more than you're walking away. Then eventually what ends up happening is you're looking at it, begins to turn into, now you're touching it. And when you begin to fool around with stuff in your life that doesn't belong in your life, eventually, as the old rule is, and it's so true, if you hang around a slippery creek bank, you're going in, friend. You're going in. 
That's why your Bible tells you, look, if you're flee youthful lusts, run from stuff that look, don't think, well, I, you know, it's what's so bad. It's horrible. Because where it leads to, God is trying to tell us in advance that, look, your problem started way before your problem. The problem started way before. It's, but as we think, as we, and there's some great passages in the Bible, I don't have time to turn to them today, but actually talk about this. This son had thought out what he wanted to do with his life. He thought out where he wanted to go. He thought out that, you know, he stayed a couple of days. Hey, dad gave me all my stuff, and you know, and now I'm going to, and, and I, he spent a couple of days at home, and then he's out of here. It's time to go, it's time to go do what I really wanted to be able to do all along, okay? Now, the Father shows us the great love that the Father has for us. The great love that the Father has for us. And Jesus is trying to convey to us the great love that we need to have for others. And I want you to see this in verse 25. Okay. So now the older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked what these things were meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received because we have uh, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But verse 28, but he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, and watch this now, son you are always with me. If you write that, write in your Bible, that's a good line. You are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And is found. Two sons, neither of them knew their dad. Neither of them. The second one, totally misjudged how he thought his father should have reacted. And I wonder at times if we in the church look more like the angry son at the sins of people, at the lifestyles that people live. It's a hard question because for us it, 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 it seems more righteous that we could tell people how wrong they are that we could put people in their place, that we could declare to them that they're sinners and that they, they're going to hell. And, and look, and I'm not saying any of that isn't true, but is that really the message that Jesus came to have us preach and teach? Is that really what he asked us to do? You know, the good news is what he told us to go preach to all the world. Uh, he told us that you can now have a relationship with God. All can be restored. Not to talk all about, well, here's what's, here's what's wrong with you. Here's what's wrong with society. 
And you know, it doesn't take very long if you're a Facebook person or a Twitter person to get on and see that people love to point out who's wrong. Look at your neighbor and say, I hope he's not talking about you. No, I, I, I know, look, there's, there is something in us that just, that somehow we feel we have to, to vindicate our faith with people. But see, I never saw Jesus like that, except with those who were religious, who acted like the older son. Now, he went after those guys. In fact, at one point, he got so nasty with them, he just called them a bunch of serpents and liars. And do you know why he did that? Because they were all sinning too. They were just doing a better job of hiding it. Wow, Pastor, this is totally awesome, man. I'm glad you preached this this morning. Well, it's just the way that it is. See, you know, the old phrase they used to tell us is, is that always remember when you point the finger, you have three fingers pointing right back at you. Jesus told it like this. He said, when you're picking the speck out of your brother's eye, make sure that you get the log out of your own first. And, you know, and, I, and you say, well, pastor, who's going to straighten people out if we don't straighten people out? Well, here's, here, that's a great question. I absolutely agree. Who straightened the son out? The love of the father. The son came to himself. I want you to play the scenario in your mind if the son had came home and the father had said, all right, you're one of my slaves now, head out to the pig pen. How would that have changed the son? It wouldn't have changed the son at all. In fact, life would now begin to be exactly what he expected it to be. And love would look like exactly what he expected it to look like. Just as the older son had an image of what he thought love should look like. Love should look like you ignore him and you love me because I'm the good guy here. I'm the, run, the righteous. I'm the one that stayed. I've been faithful. I've done all that. And the Lord says, hey, that is not the love of the Father. See, in our world, we have to realize that you will not have influence or authority with someone that you don't love. So if you have problems with gays and lesbians, you will never be able to help, to, to help them at all because you don't love them. If you, have, if you have hate for those who have had abortions, you will never help those who have had abortions. And there are a lot, look, that many babies, and look, I'm totally, I totally am pro-life, totally but you're not going to help anybody by beating people down. You only help people by bringing them to the loving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ as you have received it as well. You can't influence anybody. One day I was with, I happened to be with a bunch of, uh, actually uh, they were gays and lesbians. I was hanging out with them. We were over in Frankenmuth and there we're walking we walk out of a we walked out of a store together and uh, there was a guy standing on a box across the street proclaiming damnation on everyone that that for their lifestyles 
And these kids, these, these are kids, these are 25-year-old kids. That 20, I, I say 25, I, I know it. when I was 25, I felt like I was an adult. But they were, they were kids to me, college kids. And they said, do you think God is really like that? And I said, listen, I don't think God's like that at all. I said, what they're trying to do is to help people, but they just, this is the only way they know how to try to help people. I said, the God that I know, he's a loving father. And it's not that he, look, because now we're going to get into a separate issue here, and this is important to bring out. God did not call us to tolerance, to stand back and be tolerant. I don't have a problem with disagreeing with what people do in their lives. But what I have a problem with is your reason for disagreeing. Because is it a point of love that you disagree? Or is it a point of self-justification and your own righteousness that you're disagreeing? Because that's huge. Everybody say, that's huge. Oh, man, if you're just doing it because you're ticked off with some kind of self-imposed righteous indignation in your life, I'm telling you right now, you're not fulfilling God's holy plan for your life. You say, well, then what do we do? Well, how do we do? We love people. We pray that God gives us love for them because people can tell when you're talking to them and you're talking to them from a position of love than you're talking to them from a position of you're right and they're wrong. They can tell. Who do we love? What people do we love? What people, you know, what people do we we, we care about, you know, it's, it's easy for us just to stand back and say, all these people are going to hell because of this problem. And all these people, they're the reason we have all the, and on and on. But how does that change anybody? It changes zero. You guys are getting awful quiet on me. We will have no influence as God's people or authority with anyone unless we love them. God does not hear angry prayers. God, God does not hear angry prayers. You say, well, you want an example? I'll give you a great one. People were giving Jesus a bad time. Two of his disciples said, I know what we need to do. Let, would you like me, Jesus, to just pray to the Father that he would send fire from heaven and burn those guys up? I mean... Who would ask such a question? Mankind would ask such a question, right? But Jesus says, guys, you don't know who you are. You don't know what you have. You don't know what spirit you're of because why would you say something like that? No, man, don't leave them alone. Because here's, here's what Jesus knew. Jesus could not change people's lives until first he loved the people he was trying to change. And when you love people, you change people. You change people. I don't know how many of you ever heard of a guy by the name of Mike Adkins. Anybody ever heard of Mike Adkins before? He's a little bigger down in Ohio because he was from West Virginia. Mike Adkins, if you ever, uh, one of his most famous songs, which caused tons of controversy, was a song that he did called Praise, Praise. And it, praise, praise, Lord, we praise. Because in the middle of his song, this is like in the early charismatic movement, he begins to sing in tongues. 
And you talk about stirring people up. <clears throat> there was a whole lot of people who thought that song was of the devil. All right? But Mike was an anointed man of God. And he lived in West Virginia. And uh, he had moved into this house, a uh, brand new house. And he was really excited about it. And he was working out in his yard. And he realized that right across the street, he really hadn't paid attention to this, right across the street was this guy named Norman. Greg, if you would pop that picture up for me, was this guy named Norman. And he's written a whole book about Norman. Now, Mike's dead, passed away now. He's in heaven. But this is Norman, okay? Norman, and this is a cleaned up version of Norman, by the way. Uh, Norman was a rough guy. Uh, Norman came over while Mike was working in his front yard and just basically stood in the street and yelled at Mike, just carrying on, you know, and you couldn't hardly make sense of some of the words that he was saying and because he, he had some speech problems. And Norman was considered the town goof, you know, nut, basically. Every town's got one. I don't think they all look like this, but, you know, you see people walking down the street, you know, and you, you just can tell something's a little bit off, Okay. Maybe you have a neighbor that's like that. Maybe you're married to some, No, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. But this guy, Norman, Mike, Mike thought, why did I move into this neighborhood with this guy in the neighborhood? Because this guy's a, this guy's a problem. He's dirty. He's smelly. His clothes are ripped. His, he, ha, his, he has two teeth. One's green and one's black. Yeah, it is gross. I, it, it grosses me out. I mean, he's, a, he's, he's, he's in rough shape. He had pop bottle lenses. I mean, he, he couldn't talk right. People, if you, he's one of those people, if you were walking down the street and Norman was walking down the street, you began to make your way to the other side of the street because you didn't want to have to deal with Norman. Norman might say something crazy to you. He all would talk to himself all the time. But something happened inside of Mike that, that Mike really thought, you know what, I want to help Norman. I want to help him out. And so he went to he he went over to he 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 went over to Norman. He began to talk to Norman. Of course, you know what he could make sense out of, and he began to try to help Norman. And he told he one day he told Norman uh, he he said Norman, um, there's a bunch of people would like to come help you with your house. And so they all went to his house. A whole group of people they came in and they scrubbed the walls and they cleaned it out, and I mean, they did, you know, just fixed it all up. I mean, it, you know, fixed up the outside of it. And, uh, and, and Norman never said thank you or anything like that because that just wasn't the kind of person he was. And, and then Mike said, Norman, I would, like to, um, I would like to take you to a baseball game. And he said, Norman, have you ever been to a baseball game? He said, nope. And he said, well, I'd like to take you to a game. He said, but Norman, I'm going to take you, but you got to take a, you got to take a bath, right? Guess what Norman said? Bathtub's broke. And, and, and Mike thought to himself, well, what am I going to do? He said, he, he, the Lord said to him, go fix his bathtub for him. And so he went over there and here's this big black ring of dirt around in that bathtub and the he grabbed hold of the spigot and tried to, and it broke, and he had to replace all of that, but he gets it all fixed. And then he's over at the house, and he tells Norman, all right, I, Norman, you go in there. I got soap in there. I got shampoo in there, and I want you to go in there, and I want you to take a bath. 
And so Norman goes in there and he gets in the tub and Mike hears him splashing around. And then Norman comes out of the bathroom and he's got, a, he's got a robe on. And when he comes out, Mike said he looked at him and it looked like all that Norman had done had moved the dirt around. He was covered in grease and dirt and had just moved it around on different places of his face, his hands and his body. And he said, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, give him a bath. Now, you want to talk about touching your faith right now. So he goes in there, and he gives Norman a bath. He washes his face. He gets all that dirt off him. He says, now, Norman, you're in charge of everything below the waist. (laughs) But he gets all that grease off of Norman, and, and then they get him some clothes, and he takes him to the baseball game. And it's just an incredible, I'm, I really have to abbreviate this story because it's a, it's a lot longer than just a, you know, as short as what I'm telling. But one day, Mike came over to talk to Norman. And he said, Norman, you know, you know I care about you. And he said, you know, I, I, I want to talk to you today about, I want to talk to you about your eternity. I want to talk to you about, and I want you to listen to this now. And he said, Norman, he said, Jesus Christ came to give his life for you because he loves you. As much as I love you, Jesus loves you that much more. And he said, um, I'd like you to think about today, Norman, about asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior like I've done. And, uh, and, and Norman said, okay. And so he says, well, Norman, you pray and you ask Jesus into your life. And he shared a couple scriptures with him and he said, you pray. And this is how Norman prayed. Lord, I come today to ask you to be the Savior of my life because my friend Mike thinks I need Jesus in my life. And I'm asking you to come in and save me like you have saved him. And Norman gave his life to the Lord. Now, they're both dead now, but Norman's in heaven. We had a lady that was by our church, and uh, oh my gosh, man, these were like the, these were like Normans. The, her name was Jesse, and her son, who had mental issues, his name was Pete. And Sharon will tell you they'd sit on the front porch and cuss at people. I mean, they were they were rough. I mean, really, really, really rough. And she, I don't know, Sharon, she was probably in her seventies, and and he probably was in his late fifties, I'd guess. And and I mean, just. No teeth, no, I mean, and, and just their, their house was a room that was probably maybe twice the size of this stage was the, room, it was the living room. They had a kitchen back here, Pete slept back there, and then um, they had a front porch, and they had a bathroom that was in the house there. And the Lord talked to me, and I, man, I didn't want to do it. And I, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I just didn't want to go talk to him. But they were like two houses down from the church, two or three houses. And people would just avoid them. And the Lord told me to go down there and to talk to them. So I walked down. And so I just said, hi, I'm Pastor Jolliffe. I'm from over here at the, and that, I forget the, our church, the Christian Center. And, uh, and they said, yeah, we, we, we know about that church. And, you know, and, and so I just started a relationship with them. And we took, uh, we went, um, Jesse got real sick. And so she was laying in bed in the living room, was where her bedroom was. And we came over there, and, 
I mean, we didn't push Jesse about, we didn't like go at him and like, you know, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Because I believe you have to build relationships with people uh, unless the Lord tells you to do something different. And uh, I took my father-in-law with me because he was an elder in the church. And if you ever have met my father-in-law, he does not like bugs, okay? And he does not like dirt. He does not like dirt at all. And I mean, this place was not clean and it smelled like sickness and disease. And we go in there, they have a one, one of those one-room heater deals, you know, going, and that's heating the whole house. And so we're in there, and Jesse says, yeah, I want to I show you. So she's laying there horking up something, and she says, but I want to show you pictures, some pictures of me when I was younger. And so we were like, okay. And my father-in-law, I kid you not, he opened the book up to look at the pictures, and a, a cockroach jumped out on his arm and ran up his sleeve. I never told him for two years. I, I couldn't because I knew, I knew if I told him, he'd never go anywhere with me again. I knew it just like, he'd be like, no, I'm not going. But that cockroach ran up his arm and I'm just standing there thinking, oh my, I thought, do I swat at it or whatever? I thought, well, But it was, it was really something because eventually, after ministering to her, we took meals to her, and, and, and she, she asked Christ into her life. She became born again, Christian, believer, came to our church when, when she was. Um, and then her son, Pete, who I just was out of this world. I, I mean, I showed you that picture of Norman. Pete looked more crazier than Norman did. And, and uh, Pete came to the church. And I gave an altar call, and Pete was the first. He had his hand up in the air, he was, and he was one of the first ones in that service to come up and receive Christ. See, people don't, we have no influence over people that we can't, that we won't love. We just can't. We, we have no authority spiritually to help people that we can't love. I want you to think about the people you don't love right now. You say, well, I'm, I love everybody. Well, okay, so... Do you tell racist jokes? Because that's proof that you don't. Do you, do you pick on people because of the lifestyles that they're living? Then that proves you got a little bit of a problem going on there, friend. Now, I know we live in like this whole incredibly PC world, and I definitely don't want the church to become like that, okay, that we're like, you know, we've, but I, I think the whole reason we're in this place is because we're not coming from a position of love. We're coming from a position of vindication. We sound so much more like the older brother than we ever do like the father. You say, well, what are you saying, Pastor? Are you telling me I don't love? Okay, that's not what I said. What I am telling you today is there's no way that you could ever love like the father without the father's help. You can't do it. You know, in that, and just so we, we're clear on this, love grows in our life. Love isn't suddenly, okay? Love grows incrementally. So I want you to think of somebody that you just absolutely don't like, and I want you to begin to pray that God will give you a love for them. Not, a, not an acceptance of their life or anything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about accepting anything. I'm not talking about tolerating anything. I'm, I'm saying to you that you're asking God 
to help you love. And I'll tell you how God will do this, because this is how God works. God doesn't work everything all of a sudden. God works incrementally. You know, everything that God does, he does incrementally. And I'm going to explain why, so please don't tune me out now. Wealth grows how? Incrementally. A little here and a little there. Do you know why? Because if you got it all suddenly, you will only take it back to the level you were at when you received it, which is not to have it. But wealth gained incrementally, you have learned in your life how to deal with wealth. People say, well, why, why am I not wealthy? Why don't I have money? Well, one of the big reasons, and not the only reason, but one of the big reasons can be that you can't handle it. So I can handle money. Oh, yeah, I can handle it. I mean, if I, got a, if I had a million dollars, I'll tell you, I'd buy a house and buy a car and I'd, buy, I'd be debt-free. Yeah, for a while, but I, I've seen it. You'll blow that million bucks and then you won't have money for your taxes and then the government will come take your home and then the car will be gone and then and cars wear out and you'll need another car and you're going to need tires and you'll have to have repairs done and you won't have the money for it because you spent that whole million bucks on wasteful living. I mean, I, when I listened to Mark, Mark talked about it. You, you build wealth incrementally. Your health is built incrementally. It is not overnight. You know and I know that on January 1, everybody was going to lose weight and get in the gym. Suddenly, we're going to all do this. We're all going to lose 50 pounds, we're suddenly all going to lose all this weight and get in the gym and be, get there four times a week and we're going to work out hard. And it's going to be totally awesome and it's going to be a great new year. And then by the 17th, that all gets thrown down the toilet because one, working out four days a week is hard and eating right is not easy. But if you do it incrementally, you know, how much do you have to lose a week to lose 50 pounds in a year? You lose one pound a week. Now, if you think in your life, well, I can lose one pound a week. I can do that. Well, you can if you start today. If you don't eat everything that's in front of you. Amen. Eat a lot more green vegetables and a lot less pie. P-I-E, right? Get rid of dessert. Cut your calories. Begin to move. Get out and do some stuff. Amen. This is all good preaching, Pastor. Thank you. But that's my point, is, is that your health changes incrementally, not suddenly. You know what we all want? We want the sudden change. Give me a pill. And I'd get rid of 50 pounds in the toilet in one day. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Except for the toilet. <laughs> It'd be a bad deal. <laughs> That's an image you won't get out of your head by the end of the day. <laughs> love is incremental. We grow in love. You know, you take a people group that you might have a lot of issues with. 
or a person you have a lot of issues with. You're not going to all of us, you know, you, you know, you could say, Lord, just let me love them like you love them. Well, that's not going to happen suddenly. Like God's going to strip out all the hate you have for them and anger that you have towards them and all of a sudden give you this incredible love for them overnight. But incrementally, he will build that love into your life. He'll build it into your life. See, when we come from a position of love, it changes everything. It changes everything. Last story. Y'all doing okay? So, <clears throat> this is a story. I've, years ago I preached this here, but this is a story about Teddy Stollard. Anybody remember that name? Teddy Stollard? Okay. So, the story about Teddy Stollard, he was a young boy. He was not the kind of kid who got invited to parties. He slouched in his chair. He looked bored most of the time. He only spoke when called upon. And then in monosyllables, he never dressed right. He had smelly clothes. He was rather unattractive. He was an unattractive boy. Whenever his teacher would mark Teddy's papers, that uh, uh, would mark his papers, he never got good grades. Uh, there was a certain perverse pleasure she got out of marking all the wrong answers. She would put an F at the top with a little flare. She might have known better because his history was on record. Now listen to this. First grade. Teddy's a good boy and shows promise, but has a poor home situation. Second grade. Teddy is quiet and withdrawn. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade. Teddy is falling behind. His mother died this year. His father is uninvolved. Fourth grade. Teddy is hopelessly backward. His father has moved away. Teddy's now living with an aunt, and he's deeply troubled. Christmas came, and all the children brought presents to school. They were carefully wrapped, except for Teddy's, which was packaged in brown paper and held together with tape and marked for Miss Thompson from Teddy. The teacher would open the gifts one by one for the class to admire, and when she opened Teddy's, it was a rhinestone bracelet with most of the stones missing and a bottle of perfume that was mostly gone. The other children started to laugh, but Miss Thompson caught herself. Snapping on the bracelet, she said, Isn't it lovely, class? And doesn't the perfume smell good? At the end of class, Teddy approached her shyly. I'm glad you like my gifts, Miss Thompson, he whispered. All day long, you smelled like my mother, and her bracelet looked nice on you, too. After he left, Miss Thompson put her head down on the desk and cried. She asked God to forgive her. She prayed that God would help her to see what he sees when she looks at a motherless boy. When the children came back to school the next day, Miss Thompson was a new teacher. She tutored the children who needed extra help, Teddy most of all. By the end of the year, he had caught up in most of his classmates and was ahead of, ahead of some of them. After that, she didn't hear from him for quite a while. Then one day she received a note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I'm graduating from high school and I'm second in my class. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later came another note. Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to know, I wanted you to be the first to know that I am graduating first in my class. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, Another note, dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know 
that as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, M.D. How about that? I want you to come sit where my... I want you to come sit where my mother would have sat because you're the nearest thing to family that I've had. Love, Teddy Stollard. Who's going to make a difference in this world if we don't? And the difference we make is by loving people. And the difficult challenge for all of us is sometimes the people God called us to love are the people that we love the least. But because of that, but because of that, we can ask God to help us to love, to really love, to really love people. I became a much better pastor when I learned to love the people that I pastor. I can't tell you I always did. I just wanted to preach. But when I learned to love, it changed everything. I became a much better human a much better evangelist when I learned to love the people groups that maybe I have a lot of issues with. It changed everything. I challenge you today, let's follow the example of the loving father. Let's not be the older son anymore. Let's allow that love to pour through our lives to see people the way God sees them. To see people the way God sees them. My pastor taught uh, his congregation, and they, they all do this when preachers come in. You know, pe preachers can be some of the most beat up people in life. I, pro I just, let me tell you from experience, just some of the guys are just, men and women are just so beat up just from life. And when you go to Living Word and you're a pastor, when they see you, they, they might call you by your name, but they say, hello, man of God. It's good to have you here with us today, man of God. What does that do in a person's life? It reminds them of who they are. It reminds them that they have a position. Sharon will tell you many times we walked in there beat down, I mean, just about ready to quit, and you get over with these people who look at you and call you man and woman of God, and that's the furthest thing. But what does it do to you? It reminds you and it says, look, stop being this person Start being this person over here. Start living up to that, what everybody sees really that's in you. You know, God sees so much in you. I love that we are reading this last week. It said that wisdom has a specific plan for our specific life. Let's make sure that we're following that same pattern of wisdom, speaking over people's lives, God's plan for them. Amen. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children of the world. Jesus loves all the people of the world. No matter where they're at, no matter how evil or wicked they are, in our minds, God still died for them. Let's make sure we're not getting in God's way of bringing that love to their lives and that message to them. Stand up with me if you would. Hallelujah. We have no influence or authority without love. We just don't. I think that's what blew people away about Jesus. People say, oh, no, it was his power. His power came from his love. 
The greatest miracles happened out of compassion. Did not, they, 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 some people didn't even have faith to believe for what he was going to do for them. It came out of compassion. God, help us to be compassionate and loving. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask right now over the congregation, Father God, I know that, Lord, some of the things I shared today are, are, were hard things, but I want to be a good shepherd. I want to do what you asked me to do. Lord, I ask you for all of us in our, to help us to love. Help us love the unlovable. Help us reach the unreachable. Lord, help us to step out of what we're comfortable with and love like you love, the love of the Father. Open our eyes, Lord God, to those who are around us in our neighborhoods and, Lord, in our cities and, Lord, uh, the, 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 the kids, the teens, the adults, Lord God. Uh, Lord, help us to love them, to, to, to shed that light. You know, your word says, God, God is love. And then it says, God is light. Lord, your love and light are not separable. They're one and the same because they are you. God, let us be light and let us be love and let us be love and let us be light. I'm going to ask this morning while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you just for a moment would just, uh, just honor this. If you're here today and you have no, you're not right with God, and look, we totally understand how that happens in folks' lives and, and uh, they're in a person here who hadn't been there. But we want you to know that God doesn't reject you. He accepts you. We want you to know that God loves you and that you are welcome in the family of God. Doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what race you are. Doesn't, none of that matters. What matters is, is that you are willing to receive the love and the grace that the Father has for you. And this morning, if you would say, Pastor, I am not right with God. I know I'm not, but I want to be right with God. All I'm going to ask you to do is all over the building, if you just make eye contact with me, if your life is not right, you know that, and you want to make it right with God today, just look at me. I'm looking all over the building, and, uh, and I'm going to pray with you in here in just a moment, and we'll pray together. Thank you, dear. God bless you. Is there anyone? Thank you. Join these two today. We'll just take a moment. Three. Is there anyone else here today to say, that's me, that I need to make things right with the Lord? Young or old, doesn't matter. We want to pray in just a moment. We're going to make things right with the Lord today. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. I want all of you to pray this prayer with me, if you would. Say this out loud. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, giving your life for me when I did not deserve it. Lord, help me to love like you love. I turn away from sin, I turn to you, and I thank you, Lord God, for forgiveness today as I repent of my sin and receive your grace and goodness. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Give all those who prayed today a good hand. Go ahead. You're all right. Come on. Awesome. She just wants to play.